The Athletic. Yeah, hello everybody and welcome to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly and I'm joined today by The Athletic's Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. Just like Spurs, I've been out of action over the weekend. Um, thankfully, in my case, for happier ding-dong, the bells are going to chime reasons. Uh, so Jack, I guess it would be false to you to update the listeners and myself on the current situation of the club with regards to the COVID outbreak of last week. Well, the first thing I want to say is congratulations, Danny. Congratulations, your wife Danny. On your wedding. I like the pictures on, on Twitter. I thought it, it, I hope you had a lovely day. Thank you very much indeed. Did you like my hat? I loved your hat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had a beautiful navy blue felt hat on. I asked my mum, who uh, was just me and my family because of various COVID things. She's 86, 87, whatever she is. I sat next to her in the little bar afterwards waiting for the dinner to start. I said, did you like my hat, mum? She said, no, it did not suit you. She said, so I hit her with a cushion. I hit her with a cushion, which is what she's looking for. She she's always like the ultra violence. But thank you both very much, and also to athletic um, subscribers listening to this podcast, fans of the podcast. I've had so many fantastic messages of goodwill and bon homme. I will try actually to, if it's only with a like or a heart, I will try to every reply to every single one of you. But in case I missed you out, thank you very very much indeed. And, and we all know. Social media can be a hate hive, just nothing but goodwill. So I'm, I'm really deeply grateful. Back to the COVID now, Jack, tell us everything. So in the kind of the sad real world of coronavirus, to go back a few steps, this all started at the start of last week after the Norwich City game, where Tottenham players started to test positive on this kind of Monday morning, I think it was. Over the course of the week, it got worse, not just affecting the Tottenham first team, but the under-23s and many, many of Antonio Conte's coaching staff as well, to the point that the Wren game had to get called off, which was scheduled for Thursday. And of course, the Brighton game on Sunday, the training ground has uh, was shut as well. So that's the background. The latest is that yesterday, that is Sunday, the players who had not tested positive, which is more or less, let's say, half the first team squad, were able to train at the training ground. The training ground is not fully reopened. Some bits of it are still closed. Some bits, some bits of it are still subject to a deep cleaning. The hope is that they can still play Leicester City away on Thursday evening. And that some of the players who initially tested positive, that is a week ago, last Monday, after 10 days of isolation, if they do a negative test on Thursday, they will be able to play that game. However, that is certainly not guaranteed. One, because there was a story which I've just read in the Daily Telegraph this morning saying that another player has tested positive. We haven't yet been able to confirm that. And also, the guys who tested positive last week would, would not have had any training. So as it stands, at sort of lunchtime on Monday, the Leicester City game is still very, very much up in the air as to whether or not it will be able to go ahead or not. How sympathetic, Jack, uh, have the Premier League been? Because we've seen them, and we'll talk about what's clearly some headbutting going on with the UEFA folk, but how sympathetic are the Premier League? Because my guess is, and you, you both know more about this than me, they, they've got to be quite sympathetic because it, Spurs are the outliers here, but they will not be the only example of this in the coming weeks. And in the end, it becomes a battle between do you send people into an unsafe workplace versus fulfilling you know, soccer fixtures? Yeah, the Premier League has been pretty 
consistently helpful, I think, over the last year or so in terms of allowing teams with COVID outbreaks to postpone games if necessary. It happened a few times. You know, they're flexible with a Brighton game. And if Tottenham if Tottenham really aren't are not in a position to play the Leicester game, I don't imagine they'll get forced to play it. I think they have been they have been flexible, not least because if a team's got a bad COVID outbreak, the one thing you really don't want them doing is playing a match against another team. And travelling and all that yeah, stuff. Exactly. Yeah, It's just not a smart thing for them to be doing. So in that sense, I imagine they will be flexible if the situation is still bad. But I certainly agree with you, Danny, that just look at the way that cases are spiking in the UK at the moment. Anecdotally, we all know lots of people who've got it just in the last few days. This is going to be a big feature of the Christmas period of football and Premier League football over the next six weeks or so, I think. More and more clubs are going to get this and then more and more games are going to, are going to get, have to get called off, I'm afraid. I mean, Leicester, by the way, have got, have got a few cases of their own, haven't they? And they've also got yep. quite a few injuries at the moment too. So actually, it, it wouldn't just be Spurs in that fixture who, uh, <laughs> who would be without quite a few players. It's no secret we're recording this roughly midday. And as it's happening, I'm watching the draw for the Europa Conference being made as we speak, which still includes the name of Spurs. But is that inclusion likely to change very soon? What are we hearing about what's going to happen between Spurs and Wren and our Dutch friends? Well, yeah, we're waiting to see if there is going to be an appeal, aren't we? And I, I, I my personal take is that it, it seems unlikely that that the well the the three nil defeat is is going to be the is going to be the result, isn't it? Ultimately, that's what's going to be applied. You both have said there isn't a slot for the fixtures to be played between now and the deadline that they've given, which I think is the thirty first of December. It is, yeah. It seems unlikely to me that there's going to be any other resolution to that other than. Spurs being given a 3-0 defeat and going out of the competition and you know despite what Charlie was saying last week about there being a desire from the Spurs and to be in the competition purely on the basis of the financials I I just don't see that it's going to that's going to be the hill they're going to want to die and I just don't see them kicking up too much of a fuss about that I hear that but UEFA again are going to be in a position aren't they where if they hand Spurs a 3-0 defeat what they're effectively saying is send your players into the training ground riddled with COVID, fulfil these fixtures. Yeah, and I think had it been a Champions League game, that may have been something that Spurs pushed back on with that in mind. But I think just because it's a Conference League and, and it's just such a low priority for them. you know, Having such a drain on resources over the first three or four months of the season, I just can't, I just can't see there really being the appetite for a, a kind of protracted legal battle with UEFA no, no. that goes on into the first, into the second half of the season, possibly right up to those games being played in February. I just I just don't see that they're going to be that fussed. I think they probably quite like the idea of being seen to have been wronged morally and to have yeah. that in their top pocket the further down the line next time there's some kind of dispute or issue. It is also, of course, the first chance um, UEFA have had since the Super League to, uh, how can we put it, uh, exert its influence over one of the breakaway clubs. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea whether or not that they would have had that in mind when they made that decision, but I can I can well imagine there would be some people at UEFA that would certainly take some sense of satisfaction out of doing that. My own reading of it isn't so much that. It's more that UEFA has to oversee lots and lots of different competitions, and that requires quite a lot of rigidity. Like, the Premier League is only a 20-team competition which is kind of run by the clubs themselves. Yeah, they've all got so fixture secretaries yeah, and all the rest of it, yeah. Yeah, like they can't afford, like the Premier League can't afford to piss off Tottenham. Like Tottenham are the sixth biggest and most powerful team within the Premier League. Whereas UEFA is just this huge organisation which is all trying to organise the Champions League, the Europa League, the Europa Conference League. And this means that they have, to, as they see it, they probably have to have incredibly rigid rules 
and they can't be flexible because all these different competitions have got to go in it have got to provide have got to progress like in synchronicity through the season and everything you know they can't afford to bend the rules for anyone so i I don't want to sound like I'm kind of defending UEFA on this, but that's why my sense is that the Prem, the Premier League is always going to be much more flexible for its member clubs, whereas UEFA is not. It's not really in UEFA's interest to be flexible in the same way. That, that definitely makes sense, and I, and I don't, and I've not seen any. I don't think Spurs fans are unhappy with that decision. It's been more the kind of tone of some of the statements that I think are stuck in the craw a little bit. One, yeah. from, uh Ren in particular. That was really bad, uh, yeah. which was incredibly defensive. And we talked about it last week. You don't need to go into it again. But I was really surprised by the tone of that. And there have been a few weird. Oh, and delighted, from journalists they, all, I mean, delighted they got beat at the weekend as a result. Yeah, Even though exactly, I've got no yeah. no skin in the game at all in France. Yeah, I, I think J- James is right. There have been some really really bad tweets out there. Bad by, takes, bad hot takes, bad tweets, bad takes by people saying that the worst one was one suggesting that Tottenham had somehow like concocted this COVID outbreak over the course of the last week because they wanted the game called off because they didn't want the embarrassment of losing at home to Wren. And it's actually, this has worked out well for Tottenham. I mean, the thing about that, they didn't even lose to Wren away when they were playing quite badly under Nuno. They still managed to draw that first game. So And presumably Wren would have played their under-21s anyway because they had absolutely nothing so. to gain from the from the match. That was that, that was bonkers. Especially if they were coming to COVID country. Why would they why would they send their first team players into, you know, COVIDsville, USA? The idea that Daniel Levy, Paratici, Conte are sat somewhere, you know, in the only bit of the Tottenham training ground that's still open, having a coffee this morning, giggling to themselves, saying, this is brilliant. Our master plan's worked. We've avoided losing to Ren. And who cares about the fact that we, you know, the players haven't trained for the last 10 days and we haven't been able to, you know, we've had to cancel a Premier League game, maybe a second game. Like, honestly, it's the stupid, it's, you know, I spend a lot of time on Twitter, but it's one of the stupidest tweets I've ever seen. And that's a high bar. Yeah, that's really very, high very bar. high bar. I guess if I was UEFA, I'd just be very, very careful though. If you lay the law down for Spurs it, with, you know, these are the rules, it looks like, I'm no, I'm no, I'm no um, epidemiologist, it looks like Omicron clearly spreads like a shit on a blanket, to use the exact medical term that I think we're all grasping for. What are they going to do? Are they going to do throw every team who can't put a team out to a 3-0 defeat? They will literally, it'll be like a wall chart on a schoolboy's wall. They'll be, they'll be running the competition on 3-0 defeats before February or March. They should be, be a little bit careful. The good thing for UEFA, I guess, might be that we're now in the kind of mid-season break for European yeah. competition, aren't we? So when is it kind of end of February that we'll be back in yeah. the kind of last 16 of Champions League, Europa League, Conference League and whatever? So playoff round of Conference League, sorry. So, sorry, what's that? What's the name of that round again? Sorry, I forgot. Yeah, I mean, it's got some long convolute. The knockout, play, the knockout playoff. Yeah. Didn't we come up with some better name for it? Yeah, the prison, the, 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 the punishment, punishment round, punishment round. The punishment, the punishment round, round, yeah. That's it, that's it. The news today, a piece in the Athletic about David Ornstein, who uh, who I trust, that Deli Alley will be allowed to leave on loan in January. What does this mean? Is he is he just being let out to get some football to fat him up for transfer, or has Antonio Conte at this very early stage washed his hands of him? Well, clearly he's not in. I don't think he's in Conte's plans. I don't think he's close to being in the team, either in midfield or in the front three. I think that Delhi is really in the same position that he was in under Nuno, which is very much on the outside. So I think Tottenham would like him to go because there's not much point in him being there if he's not going to be, if he's not going to play. That said, this is a point that that David makes in his piece in the column today, which is also 
tallies of information that I've heard from David separately, they know there's not really much of a market for a sale. You know, Tottenham have been in talks about selling Deli Alley in the past, but I think that right now, because of, you know, it's a January window and the COVID effect on the football marketplace and the fact that Delhi's not really done anything of any note for the last what, three, three and a half years, means there just isn't only the buyer there. So I think the, the view at Tottenham is that, well, if, he's, if Delhi is going to go in January, it would make more sense for it to be a loan rather than a sale. Where exactly he goes on loan, I don't know. I don't, I, at this point, I just don't know what the market would be for Delhi next month. I don't know what level of club would want him. In the fairly recent past, there's been interest there from PSG and Inter Milan and AC Milan. But right now, like after, you know, it, it, I almost literally can't remember when the, he last played well for Spurs. I don't, I don't imagine that it would be that level of club who would be in for Delhi. My sense is that the type of team who would be in for Delhi this month, sorry, next month, are more likely to be struggling Premier League teams who want made, you know, more goals, more energy in the final Newcastle's of this like, world even, yeah. Newcastle is the obvious one because of how their struggles. And then you're looking at, well, I mean, who else is struggling? Burnley, Norwich, yeah. maybe teams slightly better than that, like, I don't know, Southampton, Leeds United. I got nothing against Deli Alley, but I got... I've, but I, so I feel slightly cruel saying this. Why would you take him even on loan? Because he, he doesn't have any of the attributes of, of a professional footballer anymore. I can't see what he's doing on the football pitch. I don't think he's the player he was. Never mind when he was playing the semi-final of the World Cup d- during his 37 caps in a very good England team. He's not, he's not the child that we got from, from MK Dons as far as I can see. Something's gone seriously wrong with this lad. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, as Jack says, you know, the, the, you struggle to think of too many incredible performances from him in the last two and a half years, and that actually, in percentage terms of his career, is probably quite it's probably quite a big chunk. He's twenty five, isn't he? He's twenty five yeah, years of age. Yeah, and it really is. You know, you know, Jack is listing teams from the bottom of the Premier League there, and you know, you, you talk about someone like Southampton, and I, I think we did have a conversation actually about a year ago, Jack, about where Deli Ali would go. Uh, and Southampton was mentioned, and and I think I kind of scoffed. But now I kind of look at that and think, d- despite Southampton probably being worse than they were a year ago, I find I find it hard to imagine that they would that they would go for him. I I just I'm just not sure where where would he play if he went to Southampton? They play a very press, a very organised pressing style. It's obviously like not not a million miles different from what he played under Pochettino. And was very yeah. good at. They're quite rigid. They don't seem to have any goals or creativity in the team. Since they've lost Ings, I'm not sure what you know. Where are the goals coming from that in that Saints side? But I wouldn't look at that team and then look at Deli Ali and think, well, that's a surefire solution. You know, if they chucked, well, no. if they chucked 100, 100 and whatever it is grand a week to cover his wages for the second half of the season, that that would be money. Yeah, I agree. I, well I, can't, I can't necessarily necessarily see where he'd fit. But then you know, if if I'm in team, I'm thinking. What you know, I just want somebody who could maybe give us something a little bit different. You know what? I actually think Burnley's not the worst idea, just because of the way that Burnley play. This kind of kind of direct four four two. Delhi would fit into a more into a four four two team better than probably anywhere else. So if you can go and hit some long balls up to Chris Wood, Chris Wood flicks it on, and Delhi you runs make it. You're making the runner from the from the, of the midfield of the midfield yeah. four, don't you? You're making the one that goes into the penalty area. I can, I can see that. Well, it's very rare that I don't have, you know, I can't work up some kind of theory as to what's going on with a footballer who has suddenly come into good form or just dropped off the edge of the cliff, as Delhi has done. But he's a mystery to me, and we'll see what happens to him. So a quick break, and because uh, we'll treat ourselves now, because um, we have no game to report on, 
uh, for obvious reasons. Um, we've asked ourselves again, we've asked you, the listeners, the, the subscribers, the readers, whichever category you're in, uh, to send us some questions. There's some nice ones, actually. And we'll do that after the break here on The View from the Lane. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. Jack Pitbrook and James Moore here with me, Danny Kelly. And as I said uh, before, we had that little uh, sojourn. We've asked you, listeners, readers, subscribers, however you're connecting with us, and you're all very welcome, of course, to send us some questions. So let's get stuck straight away via Twitter, a snapper white asked if you could snapper how can we answer this in a few minutes if you could choose one spurs player from the past to go into today's team who would you choose and i don't know that jack but not being a spurs fan he's even got a view on this um, but i'll start with you james if you could pick one player from spurs's past to go into the current team who would it be uh, yeah it's a difficult question yeah um and to be honest you the the the, the first answer i'd probably give would be harry kane circa 2018 or something probably uh-huh um we see what you did uh, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, I, I think the player I'd probably go for would be someone like Luka Modric. That, that, that's what I think they're missing. Someone who can kind of thread things together in midfield, set the tempo, drop off from midfield to collect the ball off the centre-backs and kind of keep things ticking over. I, 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 and someone who would just help them in possession. Dembele would be the other option. I know we talked about them as a comparison before and, and Dembele is obviously a very different player. But... A, mid, a deep midfield playmaker who sets a tempo and can help you defensively through keeping the ball would be my choice. So I, I'd probably say Modric, just because it feels like a slightly more interesting answer than Dembele. Yeah, and uh, you know, at 97 years of age, he's running away with the title in Spain as well. Yeah. So we'll take we'll take twenty eight to a two thousand and eight vintage Modric or whenever it was he signed. Do, do you have do you we'll have go through that again? Uh, no, it would be a great choice. Do, do you have a view on this, Jack? Well, I think they definitely need someone better than Emerson Royale at right wing back. So why not Carl Walker? If you have to look back too far into the past, you know he's only sold what four and a half years ago. But it's clear that you know look how much they're getting out of Regulon already, who's never really played as a wing back before. And just remember how good Walker was, particularly in this final season in 16-17, often playing as a wing-back in a back-three system. I mean, I think Modric and Dembele are probably better answers than this, but given that James already said them, and I feel under pressure to say yeah. someone slightly new. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go for pre-fallout with Pochettino Kyle Walker instead of Emerson Royale. Let's move on to another question. Michael T via the Athletic app, which I recommend to you wholeheartedly. Have you heard if we'll be signing any players on a free in January for start next season? Or are they putting their, all their attention in trying to finish fourth this campaign? I mean, I, I should hope they're trying to put all their energies. What, what do we know about this? Because, of course, Paratici um, is, a, is a master of the uh, free transfer, even though it has left Juventus clogged up with a load of midfielders with no pace. But that's a separate issue. Uh, what do we know about this, Jack? On the second half of the question, it's definitely true to say that the the kind of priorities and focus of the club has switched a bit in the last month or so since they got Conte. You know, this back when Nuno was in charge, the targets for the season, I think, were, well, of course, we'd like to get into the Champions League, but 
that's going to be difficult. Maybe we'll have to pursue the cups or success in the conference league or whatever else. Or you know, maybe we can get a sixth, fifth or sixth if we're lucky. Whereas I think, and this is one of the really one of the motivations for appointing Conte in the first place, was realizing that while City and Liverpool, and maybe to a slightly lesser extent Chelsea, are going to run away, it's kind of a big gap after that. And fourth is anyone is for anyone to fight for. And I think top, there's a feeling at the club that they can they can get fourth. You know, I think frankly, I think it's them versus Man United for fourth, and that means that. For example, I think they're probably less upset about the elimination from the Conference League than they would have been uh, a month or two ago. So, with that said, I do think that fourth is the focus now. I think everything is really all the eggs are being put back in that put in the in the basket of fourth place. In terms of free transfers for next summer, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about any free agents who they're talking to, who they might be getting signed up. That said, it's I mean it's totally plausible that given that they're not exactly awash with cash to spend on transfer fees, that that's what they will be looking at. I think that generally speaking, the marketplace will see more free transfers in the in the next year or two, just because clubs have got less money to throw around. And I'm sure, to be honest, when they're speaking to players, which of course they are doing all the time because all clubs are, the prospect of being in the Champions League next year and being managed by Antonio Conte and playing at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and training at the Tottenham Hot- at the training ground will make them an attractive prospect to players. If you're putting two and two together, well, or, two, or maybe two and two and two together and coming up with six, i.e. Spurs need players, they have Conte, they have Paratici, then... You look at the number of players in Serie A that are out of contract at the end of the season. Kessie, Dybala, Brozovic, who who Conte had at Inter, who I think was quite a key player of that team, who maybe would be someone they'd look at, who I guess they could probably sign in January for not that much money, relatively speaking. And you can see there's definitely scope for a few players to be signed in that window, surely. They haven't, Spurs haven't done much of this kind of deal over the years. And one of the reasons I suspect is, of course, they're not really free transfers because the agents just very quickly work out what the transfer fee would be, take a quarter of that for themselves and then add the rest of it in as wages. Look at Aaron Ramsey's wages at Juventus, for example. And who gave Aaron Ramsey that contract at Juventus? Uh, Some fool, some fool. Okay, well, we'll see what uh, Paratici does, uh, Aaron Ramsey-wise, etc., Lee J, again via the Athletic app, says, Antonio Conte seems to be very calm and patient in front of the media right now. How long before we see full tilt Conte? I guess my own feeling on this is uh, that he just doesn't seem to be the kind of person who does these things for the long term. And so I'm disappointed that things like COVID keep happening because I want Spurs to squeeze all the managerial juice they can out of Antonio Conte in the 18, 24 months, whatever it is, he's going to be there. I could be proven wrong. He could fall in love with the club and decide this is it for me. This is the project. But uh, Lee wants to know, is there perhaps a reason why we're not seeing him going full on? Although I must say, he's been pretty engaged on the touchline, hasn't he? I mean, it's the reason not that they've taken 10 points in the four Premier League games they've played so far. And and, and he was quite animated after that uh, Mora defeat, wasn't he? So it, it, I think the answer might be that things have just been, particularly in the league, relatively... Comfortable so far. I think, well, that's yeah. 10, 10 points in four games, one goal conceded. They've looked largely competent across those four matches, other than the first half against Leeds, probably. So, yeah, my answer to that would be the second that looks like changing, maybe the moment that he loses his shit. Yeah. I mean, and good, we, we, we need to, people like Jack need the press conferences to liven up, you know. Although I must say, I thought, I don't know if you were at that one, Jack. I, the, the one that where he was describing the situation with the COVID and the cancellation of the Wren game, 
well, he obviously frightened for his family and, and all that, but he was also giving it some, please, someone challenged me on this if you dare. He was doing that, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he's I, I think he's generally been pretty happy overall so far. I don't think that people inside the club have, have had any issues with him. James is right, things have gone well in the league. He's not been there very long. Also, they haven't had a transfer window yet, and you know, who knows what disagreements there might be in January. Um in terms of that that COVID press conference, I wasn't there, Charlie was doing it, but my my, my interpretation of that, and this might not be accurate, but my interpretation is that he was most concerned with the health of his his staff, you yeah. know, lots and lots of his staff. You know, his content's got a big back from staff. Lots of them have contri- have tested positive for COVID over the last week or so, and they're they're just. A, I mean, this is an obvious point, but they're just a lot older. Yeah, you know, most sure. of the players have got COVID are in their twenties, whereas Conte's got lots of staff in their fifties and sixties. And naturally, it's worse to get COVID if you're that old than if you're twenty five. This next question from Alex McGuire on Twitter. Is actually a heartbreaker. Uh, and James, I, I want you to uh, pull yourself up to your full height before you answer this. How big is the gap between this Spurs team and peak Poch 2015 to 17? And what would it take to close it? Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to cry. I, I, I kind of think it's probably not quite as big as it feels, but it is. It's kind of the most difficult bit to bridge, isn't it? The last bit. I mean, that was a team who was ju- just a smidgen underneath being like a, a an elite, elite team. You know, you know, like a team who would like habitually win tournaments, the the, the best tournaments. So it's just that one step below that, which I guess is probably much as much down to experience as anything else. I mean, in kind of uh, in terms of the numbers, in terms of the number of players, I'd, I'd say probably like. Eleven. I reckon four. I reckon. I reckon you could put. I reckon you start putting like two or three very good players in that team. It'll start to feel very, very different because I think you can. You can kind of not carry is probably a bit unfair, but you can kind of have a couple of players who are slightly below that level in, if you've got six or seven very, very, very good ones. I, I think I think it's a psychological thing as much as anything else as well, isn't it? I, mean, I think we all know that. Still, and, and again, we don't want to get into this big confidence conversation again. But clear, clearly, the, there is there are still wounds at the club from 2019, mm-hmm. and the momentum hasn't quite swung back in Spurs' favour since then. Conte feels more than more than Mourinho, and certainly more than Nuno, like he has the kind of personality that can drag a club in the right direction. So. I don't think we're worse off now than we were in, say, the summer of 2014 when Pochettino took over or early in that season, or the equivalent point of that season, let's say. So, logically, we're then, what, four and a half years away from the Champions League final? Matter of time. Absolute matter of time. It's inevitable. I mean, forgive me if I I use a phrase about you that is probably more negative than I I intend. And that sounds a bit mealy-mouthed to me. I I have to say, (laughs) yeah, the, the, the the team under Pochettino in 15 to 17 is a great team. And I'll fight anybody who says, oh, you're deluded. That the horrible word that people use, deluded. Not deluded. I know what I think. I think that was a great team. And if I didn't win a trophy, these things can happen. It always can happen in England because you're up against all sorts of things. And Leicester City was a miracle that I actually am delighted that I lived through, even if Spurs were the direct victims of it. And perhaps they should have won the title the next year and so on and so on. But it was a great team. And, and here's the, the issue that uh, worries me is that for Spurs, unless they're going to spend like drunken sailors, you need what Borussia Dortmund got 10 years ago, where you've got a manager 
who comes virtually out of nowhere and is brilliant and is matched up with his the team he built with an astonishing striker, somebody who's going to get 30 goals a season. In this case, it was Robert Lewandowski. And Spurs had that with Pochettino and the emerging Kane. The regret will come that um, it was during the Kane-Son years that they didn't win things. But I think unless that you are geared up like a Manchester City or a Chelsea, you need that coincidence of managerial breakthrough and striking power to match what Spurs had, even when they weren't winning trophies in those times. And I think we're probably, well, Conte's a great manager. We'll see what, what it can do. It requires Harry to get his head and his feet back in the right place. And we'll see what happens. But uh, who's this from? Alex. Alex, the main thing I'd say, mate, is um, at least try and enjoy the fact that we did have such a wonderful team for so long. And I, I saw Spurs teams winning things regularly in the 70s and 80s. And I, re- I revere those teams because they, you know, they were part of my life arc, if you like, and I wore my hands on their memory. They weren't as good as the team that we had three or four years ago. They just weren't. Player for player, they just weren't. And my answer to the question is probably that the thing that really stands out about the 2015-17 Poch team is that they, one, they totally understood and mastered a style of play from the manager, which was at the cutting edge of football at the time and still is. Second is that as well as kind of understanding it intellectually and being able to do it on the pitch, they also had an incredible sense of unity, which was to do with being at the right stage of their careers. They were all youngish, hungry players who worshipped Pochettino really yeah. at that point. And they appeared to love each other as well. Very unusual. And who loved each other. And that was really the kind of secret source that made that team so good. Even more than the individual attributes of the players, although the players themselves work in players. Now, with the Conte team right now, clear, you know, the fact is he's only had four league games. So they won't get to that same point of understanding and mastery of the of the system probably until the start of next season. But I think they they should be able to get there. You know, the Conte has proven that he's brilliant at teaching players to understand his style of play and teach them how to do it. He's done that in jobs in the past. There's no reason to think that he won't do that at Tottenham. The questions are, like, two, will they develop that same sense of unity and togetherness and spirit, which defined the, the Pochettino 2015-17 peak years? I think they probably should do. I mean, I think they probably will because I think that comes along when a team is doing well or when they all respect a manager. And I guess the only other question you could ask is, do they have all the right pieces in place? Do they need a little bit more talent in central midfield? Do they need another player in the front three who's better than Lucas Moura to get to that level? Maybe they do, I'm not sure. But I definitely think that Tottenham are headed in the right direction to reach that same point with enough time and with the right additions in the summer. I hope that um, uh, Alex answers your question. And I'm sorry I cried at the very asking of the question, but I love that team. Of course I did. Much more uh, positively here, Spencer S, again via the uh, Athletic app. And I'll tell you about the app and all the rest of it and how you can get subscribed in just a few minutes' time. Um, This is nice. If you could gift one Spurs kit from any era this holiday season, which would it be? The green one is the answer, isn't it? The, The Ajax and Man City away Champions League one, which I don't think you can buy anywhere now. I kind of feel like if Nike and Spurs printed that again or made a load more of those, they'd make an absolute killing because that is the one I think that people want. So that that would be the answer because I imagine that's probably quite hard to, quite hard to come by, quite sought after. You know, I'm, I've made a kind of list here. I mean, I love the current second kit, the, the, the planetoid one. 
And, and uh, yeah, and it also reminds me of the cover of at least one King Crimson album. So that's good indeed. Uh, other than that, I've loved the plain white shirts and a couple more way back in the day. I remember as a, as a teenager, pasty-faced teenager, um, going to see Spurs at Queen's Park Rangers on, a, I think it was New Year's Day. And they played for the first time in, that I'd ever seen them in a proper navy blue away kit. They played with a navy blue shirt and white shorts. And it looked absolutely big old-fashioned white cockerel badge on it. It looked absolutely fantastic. But I'm afraid, uh, Spencer, you could probably ask 200 Spurs fans of different ages um, to pick a favourite shirt, and you'd probably get 150 different answers, such as being the acceleration and proliferation of these shirts with the marketing effort. Um, Thank you very much indeed for the question. We'll have a little break, then I want to come back and talk about something that Jack's written in The Athletic uh, this very day. Hot news, everybody. You can still get that green kit that Spurs played against Ajax if you go online. That's the news that we've heard. Jack, you've written an article in The Athletic this morning, this very morning, in fact, on Conte's... I mean, it's hard to believe he's only been because there's been so much gone on, hasn't there? Football matches, COVID outbreaks. It's only been a month. Tell us about what you've written about Antonio Conte's first month at the Mighty Mighty Spurs. Yeah, it's just trying to take advantage of the sort of empty time that we have now to take a bit of a look back at kind of what we've learned from Conte so far in this strange dynamic where for the start of the Conte era, he, it was kind of relentless matches with no time to breathe really between games. And now, not through any ch- choosing of his own, but he's got far more time than he knows what to do with. And to be honest, they'd rather have the games on. I mean, we don't know if this is, you know, last week was an empty week. We don't know at this point. If this week's going to be an empty week, I imagine it's probably slightly more likely than it will be an empty week, at least until the Liverpool game on Sunday. So we don't, a lot of it is just to do with saying we don't really know how how this break will affect Spurs next time they're out they're back out on the pitch. What we do know is that I think the team is clearly improving. If you look at, for example, expected goals, they are more expected goals per game than under Nuno, fewer expected goals against than under Nuno. So clearly the team is heading in the right direction. And I think I just think you have a sense, don't you? Particularly if you look at the Brentford game, I think it's really the best example of this. You just know what they're trying to do on the pitch. You know, it's not perfect yet. And there's a lot that they still need to improve. And there's certainly more players they want to, you know, there's players they're going to look at in January and for next summer and maybe one or two other internal solutions. But I do get a sense that we know in outline what the sort of Conte Tottenham team is going to look like now. Yeah, and um, I, I don't know, and I, I suspect, and I hope I'm wrong, the second half of this football season is going to be quite chaotic, possibly with uh, lots of fixtures being postponed because of various issues to do with the pandemic. I say, hopefully, um, from the bottom of my heart, um, it's not going to be uh, quite as destructive as it was before, but I suspect there'll be a lot of organisational things. And hopefully, Conte's number one thing, which I think is organisation, will come to the fore in what will might be, I say, a very chaotic fixture schedule. Spurs are already heading that way anyway. I think other clubs will join them as well. Listen, thank you both very much indeed for that. And let me just tell people that if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read all of our articles on Spurs, of course, including those written by Jack and Charlie and others, and everything else on the site by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now, you can get 33% off a full subscription. Uh, that's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. It's also, of course, a great gift to give somebody this Christmas. We're back later in the week. Thank you for listening. Thank you also to 
uh, Jack and James for spending the time with us here on the podcast. And once again, if I might say on a personal note, thank you all uh, for the kind words about my recent nuptials and thanks to herself for having me. The Athletic. <laughs>